Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. This is Positively Different Radio in the morning and you're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, I'm thankful for so many things. God is just so good and I've been so blessed. I, I got to do my uni entrance exam yesterday and I think I went well, so... I guess so. We were praying for you here oh, at Faith FM. Praise the Lord. But yeah, no, I think I went well, so that was cool. But mm, something... Okay, this morning, um, I woke up and like I normally do, I, I woke up and I got on the scales and I'm now three kilos off my target weight, which is good because that's been about nearly a year in the making um, and I'm currently about... 17 kilos down so I'm, 17 kilos yeah. down congratulations so go lawson so yeah well i just done. have another three kilos to go and then i'll be at um yeah 65 kilos which is 20 20 kilos away are you gonna are you, do you plan to go a little bit under so you got some buffer zone for like christmas and new year oh maybe but this is the thing i've just kind of i've been doing it mostly by like diet and like you know also like you know being more active and whatnot but i think now the step probably is like okay sign up to the gym and then kind of get that covered and and then you know when you when you're like going to the gym all the time you don't need a buffer zone you just like, oh true yeah you just you just, just shredded and you just like yeah so so that's just been really awesome that's been such a blessing we can yeah. join the uni gym when you go to uh, uni next year yeah they've got a gym right there on campus so Dude, um, yes sign up and go for it the most awesome thing about it is like honestly it's been 100 percent through following the health principles of the bible Yes, like no nice, joke. no well joke. done, like, praise God. I was like, I just want to do everything that God says I should do in terms of my health, and I've lost a bunch of weight, and I'm a lot healthier. So, yeah, fantastic. That's what are you? Awesome. What are you thankful for, Lyle? Uh, I think I'm. Did I mention this yesterday? I can't remember. Um, so my sister-in-law in, arrived from the United States oh, yesterday. Nice. Mm-hmm. Super, super thankful that she uh, made it safe and sound. Not that that was a surprise because travel is pretty safe these days. But um, really glad that she's here. Her first time out of the United States, so her first international oh, wow. trip, and she's gone to the other side of the world. Mm. So if you're going to do something, do it properly. I think it's the first time out of the US. You may have been to Canada or Mexico. I'm not sure, but um, definitely first time off the continent. Wow. Um, so yeah, super exciting. This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms.
You're listening to I Am They with King of Love here on The Breakfast Show and Lawson is going to bring us our first clue for the quiz of the day. Lawson, what have you got for us with the first quiz? First clue clue for the quiz. (laughs) First clue for the quiz. What book am I? 166. All right, here we go. My last verse is, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You know, I could have finished that verse for you. I, when you started, started with Dear Children, I'm like, yep, keep yourself from idols. And now I can't remember what book it is. But anyway, that's okay. one eight hundred three two four eight four three is the number to call or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine with your answer. Double prizes. And there will be double prizes coming yes, your will. way. Indeed. Okay, so uh, positively different news. Yes. Apart from the fact that you've uh, smashed the exam yesterday, we yep. hope and pray, Lawson. Yep. Uh, feeling good about that. And uh, what's happening around the world? What's happening around the world? Okay, this is really awesome. Um, dude, major US airline JetBlue has announced that it will be completely um, carbon dioxide, like carbon neutral. Um, by July 2020. Really? Yeah, and it'll be the first major US airline to do so. So they're planting a lot of trees somewhere. Check check it out. Or they're flying check, electric this, planes. This is this is genius. Because okay. uh, uh, I, I asked the same question. I'm like, okay, so you become carbon neutral, so you offset your carbon emissions. So does that mean you make a ton of carbon emissions and then do a bunch of stuff that then will balance it out? And I'm like, oh, the kind of yeah. you know, the classic. Um, oh, my dad actually has this awesome saying. It's the solution to pollution is dilution. And it's essentially, you know, um, yeah, it's like if you dilute something enough, then you can't tell that there's a pollutant in it. But... Um, Basically, what what they've done is okay. So they've um, they've partnered up with a company um, 
that's called carbonfund.org. Um, and they have been since 2008 coming up with, with different ways to, to offset their carbon emission as, you know, as you, you'd be thinking, um, you know, uh, and so far they've offset about 2.6 billion, um, billion, I think it's tons of CO2 emissions, which is a lot. Um, that is a lot. But this is, this is like the real, the real kicker. So they have now, um, partnered with a company who makes renewable avgas. Rene- okay. Yeah, they make Like it. as in ethanol? Yeah, they basically and they make like it's renewable jet fuel that's made from waste and, you know, residue from raw materials. Cool. So, yeah, and they they like okay, yeah. like Japanese the Japanese were doing were doing during the Second World War. Yeah. So kind of like old technology. Yeah, here. but <laughs> someone's purposing it in, repurposing it in 2020. Because Japan, of course, didn't have oil fields, and so that was what they had to do. Yeah. So so that's basically what these guys have done, um, and it's, yeah, seriously reducing their carbon. Yeah, f- of course, it would be much, much more highly uh, researched than, you know, back in the day. Mm. But, yeah, impressive. Yeah, so... See, as I said, you know, JetBlue, this is like the first major US airline to do so, and one of the first airlines in the world to do so, um, you know, to fully offset their carbon footprint. And we know that that planes themselves are like a huge contributor to, um, yeah, to, you know, global emissions and whatnot. So it'll be... Ah, but far less contributor, far more efficient than cars. Yeah. Because the same amount of ton is going to carry people so much further and cheaper and all that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I fully... Just got to throw that in there. Yeah, I, I agree. My defensive aircraft. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm not saying that. Like, we're not, we're not out here pulling a Greta Thunberg. Like, we're not going to throw planes in the bin. But at the same time, it's like, look, they are a contributor of global... Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. And, no question about that. And so now that... Anything we, we can do to clean up our world and clean up our environment mm-hmm. is not a negative thing. Which is... It can only be positive. Okay. So this story, I was like, that's a really cool story. Like, the main way that they're doing it is by using, you know, waste materials to come up with biofuel and whatnot. But, okay, but biofuel to me has peaked, okay? It's peaked. We've hit the peak. There is nothing more we could possibly do to be any cooler than what I found out this morning. Oh, okay. Okay, Denmark researchers, researchers have created I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to keep a recording of this statement. Yeah. yeah, biofuel has peaked, and we're going to play it in fifty years' time. <laughs> <laughs> Lawson, this is what you once predicted. But listen, listen to me, Lyle. Yes, Denmark researchers have created a biofuel exclusively from seaweed. Right. Yep. Okay. And it has the ability. They've already powered a car with it, so we can just uh, clean up our beaches and. Run our cars. Yeah, essentially. Um, they, you know, it, obviously this is in the very developmental prototype, you know, we're talking alpha, alpha stage at the moment. Um, but yeah, they've, uh, they, they announced that they had been, this Danish company, um, Danish scientists, sorry, they've uh, powered an automobile that hit 80 kilometers an hour using fuel created from seaweed. That's cool. So, yeah, at the moment, you know, yeah, it's fully, like, it's in the scientist stage and the developmental stage. Um, and, and, yeah, they've just basically created fuel from seaweed. About 25 million tons of seaweed gets harvested every year, and, like, 99% of that is used for, like, eating. 
and you know and nothing wrong with that you know and um cosmetic products and whatnot which is awesome because i love sushi so much it's just like the bomb um but yeah now we've got a a new use for seaweed which is something that the only thing i'm not going to say that biofuel has peaked i know i said that before and that's on the cool factor because i'm like they made you know fuel out of seaweed seaweed. seaweed that's awesome but like seaweed is something i could imagine would be difficult to consistently grow well that was my next question is how are you going to actually farm it i mean we know how to farm sugarcane you know mm-hmm. in large acre farms mm-hmm. how do you farm seaweed so, over huge areas like that to be able to then harvest it i know they do have you know big areas of um where they do farm seaweed mm. yeah so at the moment um one of the one of the um scientists are part of this project uh dr van Hal um has said yeah that they're, they're in the process now of of you know where they where they're turned to now now that they've created this biofuel you know out of seaweed they're turning to okay what is a manageable and efficient solution to actually farming seaweed and so you know they're they're you know making kind of test beds and farms in in controlled environments to i think it's something we should look it. at here in australia because you don't have to water it yes oh you genius. don't have to you don't have to irrigate it and we start, we have so much coast we we do like Maybe we should turn Lake Macquarie into a seaweed farm. Oh, no. My dad would flip out. <laughs> <laughs> where am I? Where is he going to go sailing? Yeah, where's my dad going to go sailing and fishing? He's going to like, he's going to flip. Uh, but uh, no, we have a serious amount of coast here in New South Wales. So yes, I'm all about it. Let's do a seaweed farm, you know. It's better than I think. Coal I think wherever you put it, someone's <laughs> going to flip out. Where am I going to sail and fish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, last story that I have to talk about. This is another cute story um, that's coming. That's coming from you know the bushfires. Oh, man, last night I actually just realised like, like we've been talking about it on radio, and uh, of course in Australia we know this is incredible serious, incredibly serious thing, and people are really putting their foot forward to support us and whatnot. But you know, I was watching last night. You know. Um, you know, reading articles about like Ben Simmons and whatnot coming out in the middle of, you know, an NBA game and being like, we need to raise funds for the bushfires in Australia. Like, man, this is really a global, like global, this has become like a global issue. Like in all lives are in Australia and people are really supporting, which is, which is just, it's just, just really awesome. I don't think at least in my lifetime that I've ever seen such support, you know, internationally for Australia as what we're, as what we're seeing now, you know, this is kind of akin to our, hurricane katrina type thing you know people are really looking at australia and being like man these guys need help but super cute story that's come out um uh basically this uh this this bushfire was raging um and uh, this awesome sheep dog named patsy as the bushfire was coming up its owner was like oh man we i've got to you know get the pump out start you know uh start laying down some water to defend from the fire defend our shed and whatnot and patsy just did the amazing job of just kicking into gear at 4 15 in the morning and just like rounding up 220 sheep immediately straight into the shed Straight, uh, sorry, yes. Oh, you're kidding. Straight into the shed. Without being told to. Without being told. Just like, Just got bam, out there, got into it, got just, it done. Four o'clock in the morning. On it. Four o'clock in the morning, rounds these sheep up straight into the shed. Um, well, yeah. Um, the <laughs> Stephen Hill, Patsy's owner and the owner of the farm in, in Coryong, just like smashed this fire and um, yeah, everything was saved. And I was like, 
What a good dog. That's amazing. That is a <laughs> really, so, truly amazing story. We're going to so listen to City on the City Harmonic. City on the Hill. Welcome back, guys. That was the City Harmonic with City on a Hill. You're listening to The Breakfast Show, and Lawson is about to give you the next clue for the quiz. What book am I? Oh, man, I think this is where you're going to get it. You ready? All right. 
the word antichrist found only four times in the entire Bible. <laughs> you know, I should have gone with my three gut. Times I should have gone with my gut last time. In this book. Yes, I know oh. what that is. No, he doesn't. Oh, yes, he does. Okay, no double prizes up for grabs this morning. But one eight hundred. Oh, what? It's funny. No, actually, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to give away extra hints if I say anything. One eight hundred three two four eight four three. If you know what the answer is, please give us a call. No double prizes up for grabs this morning. Whereabouts does the Bible speak about the Antichrist? Mm. Anyway, David Attenborough. Oh, okay. Bit of a legend. Um, 93 years old, mm-hmm. just released his latest doco. I mean, is this guy immortal or what? Yeah, does, does he ever <laughs> stop? Is he ever going to stop? <laughs> okay, and this one's an interesting one. It's called A Life on Our Planet. So he's looking back over the last 93 years of his life that he describes as truly extraordinary. Mm. I was going to do my best David Attenborough in- impression right there, but yeah, I was going to foul it up so badly on air that I decided not to. <laughs> His extraordinary life. Okay, but really what it does, and this is the sad thing about this doco, is that um, in many ways it reveals a man who is without hope Mm. because he looks at the destruction of our planet over his lifetime and how dramatically the planet has changed over his lifetime. And as an atheist and as an evolutionist, he has no hope for the future. Mm. Um, He's made this statement, that humans have overrun the world and that we are heading for disaster. Now, I really question that from an evolutionary perspective because he is a staunch evolutionist. Mm. Why is it that humans overrunning the world is heading our world for disaster? Isn't this just the next process of natural selection, survival of the fittest? Mm. Hasn't natural selection, survival of the fittest done nothing but improve our planet over the last however many billion years that David Attenborough theorizes that we have been around for? Mm. Isn't this the process of creation that we're actually seeing happening? Mm. Isn't, isn't, isn't death the best thing? Because, I mean, in evolutionary perspective, death is what creates life. Death is what creates improvements. Death is what means the weaker species die off so that the stronger species can survive and the gene pool of life itself can become stronger. Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm sort of, I, I read that and like, you're an evolutionist. Why do you see this as a bad thing? I'm a Christian and this is a terrible thing mm. because our world is going to pot. But you're an evolutionist. You know, I believe that God created this planet and he created an amazing planet and we are wrecking it. Mm. But you're an evolutionist, so therefore death and you know one species overrunning the planet to the detriment of another species means that weaker species die off so that stronger species can survive so that life itself becomes stronger. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, oh, I've, I've always seen like the logical gap between like, you know, ev- evolution and and you know environmental conservation like the you know evolution's put evolutionists put up a like a big point about like oh yeah we should conserve the environment and we should make a huge effort to combat climate change i'm like no we shouldn't not if you're an evolutionist in what way would that would that benefit you how is that going to protect the dna or the the genetic code of life Mm. Well, the hardship, it, hardship according to evolution is what improves mm. uh, the, the, the existence of life. Exactly. No, we're Christians, so that's why <laughs> we believe in looking after the planet. Mm. Anyway, um, you know, so you know, billions of years of death and extinction have you know, 
according to evolution, created all that is amazing today and why would this extinction event be any different from any of the other extinction events of the past that have made an amazing world? Wow. Because we're selfish. Evolutionist. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Okay, so um, moving around the world uh, from the UK to the US, Open Doors, which is a uh, worldwide Christian um, organization, uh, CEO and President David Curry has come out with a report on surveillance states and religious persecution. So imagine this, Lawson. Mm-hmm. If every time you set foot in a church, there is face recognition technology recording uh, you walking into the church, mm-hmm. recording how you participate inside the church, every word that you say, and placing you on a social credit system. How? What's that going to do to your worship experience? Um, oh, man. <laughs> Particularly when Christianity is seen as being the enemy of the state, and yeah. you know you're going to be marked down in your social credit, and you're going to lose... All kinds of opportunities mm. just for walking into that church. Of course, we're talking about the state of China at the we're moment. We're talking about right? China. And of course, if you go out and then witness, then you go to jail. Yeah. Or if you go to a church that is not a state-run church. Mm. And so they do have... You know, there's 91, 91 million Christians in China, which is a lot. And they're not going to be able to arrest all of them and throw them in concentration camps like they have done with their, um, their Uyghur Muslims. Mm. But... Um, you know, so their alternative is like, well, you can be a Christian as long as you go to, um, what do they call it there? The, uh, I did write it down here somewhere. The Three Self-Patriotic Movement Church. The Three Self-Patriotic Movement Church. It sounds like a lot the like worshipping Xi Jinping rather than Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I really don't know because I've never been to one of those churches, but it is a state-run church. Mm. So an atheist state running a church. Mm. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, a camera at every door, a camera inside, every conversation recorded, um, all of that information going into a social credit system. Um, you know, it sounds like the movie, a, a movie plot of, you know, the distant future or the ravings of a conspiracy theorist, but it's actual reality right now. Mm. And basically what it is, is they are creating a roadmap for persecution. It's like, okay, guys... This is how it's done. Mm. And the system, China being China, they are now planning to sell that system to other countries. Yeah, wow. So it's like we've made the roadmap, we've created the system, this is how you engineer society, Mm. and now you can have the same utopian society that we have, and you can engineer your society to be like ours, and you can get rid of you know, religion out of your society. We've seen that tried many, many times before with massive amounts of bloodshed and basically no one who actually wants to live in that kind of a society. Mm. You know, you read in Revelation chapter 13 and for a long time, Christians who have preached about Revelation chapter 13 and preached about persecution in the last days against Christianity on a global scale or persecution of Christians within a certain area of Christianity, Mm -hmm. the enforcement of the mark of the beast, all of these kinds of things, for you know, the last hundred years or more has sounded like the ravings of conspiracy theorists. Mm. But China's come along and said, 
hey, that Revelation 13, guys, um, if you actually want to do that, we can show you how it's done. Yeah. And we can sell you the system. And, and of because course. Because that's what China does. They make money. Like, we, we've already seen this kind of, like, this kind of idea of, you know, state-run churches and trying to persuade the Christian population, like, into, a, like, thinking back to the Soviet Union, for example. And, ah, uh, man, the, the amazing movie. What is that called? The the Richard Wormbrand? Um um, yeah, yeah, Torch yeah, of the Christ, Torch is, Christ is all about that, you know. I've got uh, I've got Etienne coming in next week to talk about uh, Voice of the Martyrs, oh, Open Doors, Voice so of the Martyrs. They do um, yes. yeah, similar stuff. That is awesome. But yeah, this is just persecution. They've bro. also released their uh, list of top fifty uh, countries in the world that are the worst countries for persecution. And 2015 was the year that persecution against Christians reached its highest point in the modern era. Wow. Um, so it it was the first time in the modern era that it had actually broken, you know, some of the medieval era records. Mm. And since 2015, it has got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. So there were 245 million um, Christians who were persecuted in 2018. There were 250 million in 2019. Let's see where 2020 takes us. But on top of the list of persecuting countries, of course, is North Korea, which has held that spot for 18 years because Christianity has been named as the enemy of the state. Mm. Um, All top 50 countries are located in Asia and Africa, except for Russia at number 46, Colombia at 41. Uh So Uh the only two outside of Asia and Africa. Um, And uh, rape, interestingly, has skyrocketed and has become the primary means of persecution in many of these persecuting countries. Um, Yeah, so it's pretty gnarly stuff we need to be praying for. Other Christians around the world who do not live in peaceful times like ours. This is the 
through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry at the gates of heaven, rejoice I have found my sheep, and the angels echoed around the throne, rejoice for the Lord brings back his own, rejoice for the Lord brings back That was Andrew Peterson with the 99. You're listening to Faith FM on the Breakfast Show and the Breakfast Show on Faith FM, I should say. Uh, Lawson, give us another clue for our quiz. What book is this one? What book am I? Quote, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Mm. There you go. 1-800-324-843. Call that number or text us on 0491 That is totally the wrong I was going to say, it did not sound right to me. That is... I would have... If you'd have given that me that one before, I would have guessed a very, very different book. That was... Yeah. You were reading the wrong book. side of the... Like, okay, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. book am I? Just... Remove that from your brain. Um, this is the this is the real clue now. So get ready to call one eight hundred three two four eight four three. Mentioned forty six times in the NIV, love is the major topic of this book. Now that makes a lot more sense. Indeed, it does. <laughs> Indeed, it does. One eight hundred three two four eight four three, um, and you will get a prize. Joining us on the phone this morning is uh, Dr. John Ashton, author of many books, but one in particular that we've been talking about, Evolution Impossible. John, welcome to the show. Hello. John, we've come to Chapter 13 of, uh, of your book here, Evolution Impossible, which is uh, titled Evidence for the Existence of an Intervening God. And the question that goes through my mind, you know, why is this material in a book about scientific evidence against evolution? Why do we have this particular chapter in this particular book? I think uh, one of the motivations for putting that in there was that there's a very uh, strong effort today to keep God out of the classroom. And the other thing is that um, science wants to explain everything in terms of, uh, you know, just natural processes. There's no, no room for God. And I think this creates the impression that God that you know science has proved that God does not exist whereas in actual fact of course many scientists recognize that um, you know there, there must be a God the DNA codes are so complex that they could not arise by chance 
the famous astronomer Fred Hoyle, Fred Hoyle pointed out that, you know, the values of the uh, physical constants and the way the universe is set up, it's almost as if uh, an intelligence has set it up and fine-tuned it exactly. So I wanted to provide other evidence, real evidence, for uh, people reading the book that we worship a God that's just not out there and set the original universe up, but a God who is a personal God and is mm. interested in us as humans today and can be our friends. So that's why I want to include the evidence that we have that God is a personal intervening God. If we look at the size of the universe and you know what, say, for instance, uh, Sir Fred Hoyle was talking about there, how he looks out at the universe, he sees you know, evidence for an intervening God in the universe. Isn't our planet really just a speck of dust? And if so, why would somebody who is big enough and powerful enough to create the universe be interested in one speck of dust? Well... Well, I guess you need to ask God that question. (laughs) (laughs) But I think um, one of the interesting things that has come out of, um, you know, astronomy is that the Earth is certainly in a very interesting position in the universe and that we appear to be in the centre of the universe. My own personal view is that we were created specially in the image of God and the universe was created as the environment for us to experience and explore. It was part of our ecology, part of our environment. But again, I think there's a huge need today as we see so many young people turning to excessive uh, drinking and drugs. There's an emptiness in their lives and people need something. Um, And they need the reassurance that there is a God that they can pray to and, and can answer prayers. Mm. Um, and that and that was the whole purpose of of this chapter to point out that not only do we have overwhelming evidence that evolution is absolutely impossible, we were created. We we are here as a result of supernatural intervention in in nature, special creation, and that this God that created us is a God who loves us, that we can talk to, that we can receive peace and joy from and I think that is so important and I wanted to give clear-cut examples of this as evidence that there is evidence for an intervening God you know the Christianity is a is a historical uh, sort of faith based on evidence a lot of people think that Christianity isn't based on evidence you know it's just a religion you know there's myths and people you know it's this feel-good thing that people want to believe in something but what I think many people don't realize is that our faith is based on evidence it's based on the evidence recorded in the Bible as as, uh, godly men wrote down their experiences with this intervening God and then since the time of Christ we have had you know thousands of Christians write down in various books and and give their sermons of their personal experience of God. And this is all evidence, evidence of an intervening God um, that, you know, answers prayer. And that's why in the book I wanted to, while the book is mainly to deal with evolution, obviously, um, I wanted to include some clear examples, both from history and both from personal experiences and both where I did research and interviewed people 
uh, in at the research laboratories where I worked about their experiences of uh, personal answers to prayer and so forth. Uh, and that's what I want to do, provide that evidence so that we have evidence. We have evidence for why, why we believe. So what are some of the examples that you um, cite in this chapter for people having a personal experience with God? Well, uh, for example, um, you know, one of the uh, local uh, medical practitioners, when she was uh, travelling to uh, work, working up at uh, Wingham, and she lived down near Taree, uh, she was driving along a windy road, when suddenly she heard an audible voice, as if someone was sitting in the back of the car saying, slow down. And uh, she said she was brought up with manners, and, and her reply, she didn't feel afraid, but her reaction was, I beg your pardon? And the voice repeated and said, slow down. And she was just overwhelmed. What is, what is happening? And she just pulled off the road and slowed down. Just at that moment, a yellow Ford Mustang came round the corner on the wrong side of the road at very high speed. And mm. she said, you know, she had it kept on going. She most certainly would have been very seriously injured, if not killed. Um, and so this is, you know, quite a... Quite a spectacular example. Hmm. What does what does science say about these kinds of experiences? Do they do, do, do scientists who are ruling you know the supernatural out of the equation? Are they just saying that this is uh, some kind of you know psychotic episode? What, what does what does science say about this kind of thing? Well, I think if you obviously the local doctor's experience has been examined by scientists. If we take, for example, Joan of Arc, who also heard voices um, and was appointed. When you when you think of the fact that here we had a 17, 16, 17 year old girl appointed to the head of the French army at a time when, you know, women were considered as, you know, the property of men sort of thing in this sort of culture. Um, how could that happen? The reason was that, that she was a very pious girl and God revealed to her the prayers of the um, of the king of, uh, or the Dauphin, he hadn't been the crown king, of uh, France. And she was able to get an audience with him and told him what he, he had prayed to God and when. He recognised that that was why she was put in charge. And, of course, God um, gave her direction, spoke to her. She heard audible voices, and she was able to lead the army to victory at that particular time and free the oppression from the uh, from the English. We have another example in more recent times, in Ellen White's time. There was Ellen White, the visions and so forth she received and, and so forth. But there's also Harriet Tubman that... Uh, Gabe Slade, who again was very devoted to God. He was an illiterate woman. Joan of Arc was illiterate as well, um, who God spoke to. And this woman, following the directions that God gave her, audible directions as he spoke to her, was able to lead the saved to safety, even though there were people looking for her everywhere and trying to, to stop her. And she led hundreds of slaves to, uh, to, to safety. Um, matter of fact, I understand she even stayed in Ellen White's house at, at one stage. And so we have the, you know, classic um, examples there. We have examples of premonitions where people have had of, of warning them against, um, you know, danger and, and so forth. Um, my friend, uh, many people would know Joy Butler, 
had a friend while she was staying in um, Zimbabwe who um, uh, her, her friend had uh, arrived uh, home after doing the shopping or whatever and uh, parked her car just in the driveway, left it running while she opened the gate uh, to her property, but there was a man hiding uh, behind the fence and he, as she opened the gate, he jumped out and jumped into the open door of the car and drove off. The problem was that the lady's little girl was in the back seat of the car. And of course, the mother was hysterical uh, as the car drove off. And um, in those days, there was a lot of carjackings and the cars were taken and driven across the border where they were sold in the neighbouring country. And um, so she was just screaming on the side of the road, you know, distraught, not knowing what to do as the car drove off. And a man stopped, you know, what's the problem, lady? And um, said, you know, someone's just driven off my car. My daughter's in it. And this man gave chase. And then another man, the lady was still screaming on the side of the road, and another man stopped. And um, he um, and said, what's wrong? He said, this man, my daughter's been kidnapped. And he said, look, I'm a pastor. Let's, we'll pray. And they prayed, God, please stop the car. And the, um, and the man said, well, look, let's, let's go over. Let's give chase. I'll probably go down this main highway. And the lady was a bit reluctant to hop in, but then she saw a Bible on the front seat. And the man said, yes, I'm a pastor. So she went with the man. They drove along the road. And there they came to the car, and it was stopped in the middle of the road. And the little girl was in the car. And uh, when they talked to the little girl, they said, you know, what happened? She said, well, I was driving a lot. Once we were driving, I was pleading with the man to take me back to mummy. And I saw what appeared to be an angel come and stand on the bonnet of the car as it was driving along and, and push what was like a shiny sword into the engine and the car stopped. And, of course, there was no hole in the bonnet and everything, but they found the clutch had failed as the car was driving along. They didn't know, um, uh, you know, there wasn't any mechanical problems. And it's interesting, why would a little you know, seven-year-old girl make up something? So why wouldn't she just say, well, the car broke down, you know, and the, the thief ran off sort of thing? And what's interesting so, with, um, you know, just thinking about it, and the petrol heads out there will relate to this, you know, when a clutch fails, it usually gives a lot of warning before it does. It doesn't usually just... Exactly, yeah, and, and not usually just... Yeah, the car stop is driving instantaneously. Yeah. I've never heard of a clutch failing like that, but um... yeah. So this is, um, and I think we you know, we had just uh, a few weeks ago a broadcast on the national news uh, at the evacuation of Malakuta there in Victoria. There was this massive fireball approaching uh, a group of people that were sort of fleeing from their homes to the jetty there. Um, and this man who was a Christian, David Jeffries was his name, uh, he's a Christian, he called out to God, yelled out, and all the people around there, you know, God, if you're there in Jesus' name, please stop these flames, push them away, something like that. And instantly, a wind came in, a really strong wind came in from the east and blew the fire front back. And in the interview, it was on television, now, another 30 seconds, they would have been consumed by this huge ball of fire that I think when I read the newspaper report later was estimated to be something like uh, 60 feet high and, and travelling, you know, uh, 90, 90 kilometres an hour or something. So, and that was in front of people and that got, you know, the media. So, uh, and those people's lives were, 
was saved. I, I read in one report, for example, that the guy said that they saw the embers raining down, they landed on the grass, but they didn't even set fire to the grass then around them. He said it was almost like a Daniel and his three friends experience. So I think, you know, in the book, we want, I wanted to point out that there, when we consider the hundreds of thousands of examples, probably millions of examples of answers to prayer that have been recorded over time, we have this overwhelming evidence that God is real. We have uh, an intervening God. You know, I think the evacuation from Dunkirk, I, um, I haven't seen the, the movie, but I remember reading about it there, how the cloud came in, people were praying, and as they were trying to get the troops off that beach, you know, 300,000 men were about to be killed, um, and the clouds came in that stopped the German Air Force from being able to strafe them as they were on, exposed on the beach there. Um, and yet it was very unseasonal for that cloud and fog to come in at that particular time. Now, there's another classic example given at a um, river in South Africa where the Vortrekkers were surrounded by a massive Zulu force and they made a covenant with God that there were something like 700 Vortrekker families in wagons, uh, farmers with their wives and children, surrounded by a force of three or 4,000 Zulu warriors and they prayed to God, they made a covenant that if God saved them, they would, you know, always remember this and teach their children. And um, that particular night, this mist, unseasonable mist, came down around and covered the whole camp. And the Zulu warriors kept back as the people had lit uh, lanterns and saw the shadows that spooked the Zulu warriors and, and the they left there with very little loss of life. And there's a bronze memorial there. So we have these, you know, records that have been preserved of, of God intervening in the lives of those faithful people that uh, turned to him. Yeah, and John, I, we do need to finish up, but um, I just want to add to that, that, you know, when you get a group of Christians who sit around and start sharing these kind of stories, it, it almost feels like everyone has a story to share from mm. somewhere. And when you start to add that up, that is an enormous weight of evidence. But, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Dr. Dr. John Ashton, author of many books, but uh, including Evolution Impossible. Uh, we need to move on with uh, this is Anna Beden with Hope, Patience and Prayer on The Breakfast Show. Lift your head. Lift your eyes to see the sun Lift your heart and burden soul Oh, rejoice in hope Lift your head, little one Lift your eyes to see the sun. Lift your heart and burn and soul. Orange joys in hope. 
trials, they shall come, but I will hold you in my arms, up to the scars in my hands, be patient Lord, I call.